Welcome to Gleaming the Tube, the podcast where Kevin and Mike watch a film in which somebody rides a skateboard at some point. Finally, a podcast where people talk about movies. Hello, Michael. Hello, Kevin. So this week, we are discussing 2021's Moxie. This is like a new movie. It came out this month. Fantastic. It's on Netflix. It's about a young woman who fed up with the sexist and toxic status quo at her high school, finds inspiration from her mother's rebellious riot girl past, and anonymously publishes a zine that sparks a school-wide coming of rage revolution. Directed by Amy Poehler. That's right. And uh, to discuss Moxie with us this week, we have a special guest because we were like, oh, this movie's all about like like riot girl stuff, and maybe we shouldn't have two middle-aged dudes talking about the meaning of riot girl. So my wife, Emily is here. Hello. Hi. Our first guest keeping it in the family though. Well, we're so glad to have you with us. Cause I can be just the middle-aged old riot girl person instead of just two middle-aged guys. Right. Another perspective. A middle-aged riot girl has been. (laughs) I'm not sure it's possible for you to be a has-been. <laughs> I don't think I, I was a never was. <laughs> I was impressed by how there is almost, there's like one second of skateboarding in the movie. <laughs> it, it's performed very well by Nico Hiraga, who is, uh, was also in Skate Kitchen. And who's part of uh, the Illegal Civilization uh, Consortium of Skateboarders and Filmmakers. uh, And a pretty legitimately good skateboarder himself. But he does exactly two tricks in the movie. And that's all there is to really say about it. So tell me about Illegal Consortium. Like, what's their deal? So Illegal Civilization is... um, uh, it's It's a group of, like, L.A. kids who, you know, I feel like... In in skateboarding, there's not there's there's a, not a lot of you 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 basically you start a company in order to have a loose collection of your friends uh, who all wear kind of the same t shirt and all skate under sort of an umbrella. But these kids uh, did something more interesting where they they actually started like a movie production house. Um, uh, Mikey Alfred is sort of the brainchild behind it. And he was a, a co-producer of early nineties uh, directed by Jonah Hill. And he's also um, the, uh, the kid who plays uh, fuck shit. And actually uh, most of the kids in, in early nineties are all sort of part also mid nineties, mid nineties, early nineties. It's a very different movie. <laughs> most of the kids uh, involved in mid nineties were, uh, are also members of the the illegal civilization team, which only just recently sort of started putting out actual skateboards and 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 announced a couple of pro skateboarders uh, to their team, sort of making them officially at this point now a, a skateboarding company. But oh, so much more, Kevin and uh, Nico Haraga is uh, is um, 
one of the members, they recently put out a, a, a full leg skate video uh, directed by Devante Jolly in which you get to see all the kids from mid nineties and some of the skate kitchen kids and some of the kids from, um, uh, well, and the kid from this movie all skating in the streets and, uh, and they're all really, really good. They also, they also, um, by the way, they, they did produce their own movie, uh, called, I read it, wrote it down. Now I don't say, uh, called North Hollywood directed by, uh, Mikey Alford, um, I have not seen it yet, but it's apparently sort of in the vein of uh, street, uh, street Dreams, where it's about some Hollywood kids trying to go pro. Um, I think we'll have to add that to the list of movies to watch. The never-ending list. Um, now, I know you said he does like two tricks in this movie, which is true, but I do think his sort of identity as a skateboarder does come to play like in the story of the movie. Certainly. Yeah, and it was nice to see... It, it was it was an odd thing to see for a little while, almost like skateboarders being depicted in movies for a while, almost like they became almost the bullies for for a little while in, in cinema in like the 2000s. And it was nice to see, you know, a skater kid in a movie who was sort of like an evolved kind of nice guy ally, I guess you could say, um, and also not have it be the skateboard in his hand wasn't necessarily the entirety of his character. You know, uh, he was like a nuanced character. Yeah. He liked going into funeral parlors after hours, you know, just hanging out in some coffins. And our protagonist in this movie is Vivian played by Hadley Robinson. And she's the one who gets into her mom played by Amy Poehler's kind of old riot girl stuff. And Emily, what did, uh, what did you think of sort of how they represented the Riot Girl stuff? And did you like relate more to the Amy Poehler character or to the Vivian character? I think the representation was pretty good, pretty decent, because it was kind of hands off, which I, I think was interesting. And I guess I relate to the Amy Poehler character. Obviously, you know, I'm in a different point in my life in terms of having children. So it's not exactly one to one in that way, like where she was in life is very different from where I am. But um, in terms of the radical stuff, yeah, I thought they did a decent job. And I do like, you know, one thing I definitely said after the movie was how it's obvious, like her daughter started putting like the zine covers. And like out of those zines, I was like, oh, I had those zines or I had the very much the equivalent of those. Maybe not those exact zines, but very much an equivalent to those exact zines. kind of interchangeable but that that she was you know Vivian was putting these up in her room <laughs> and I and how somehow like the Amy Poehler character was like keeping it really cool that she was doing this because I think because I am totally lame I think Kevin can attest to this that if you know our daughter and her like 16 year old self started putting up covers of zines that were mine when I was a teenager I would lose my mind in a very like embarrassing way to her. Like be like, oh my God, like let's talk about this. Like I would not have played it cool at all. And then she instantly would have like teared them down and that would be the end of it. If that's how it's going to happen at my house. Cause I wouldn't be able to play it cool at all. Yeah. Like uh, I, I have like all the old Comet bus zines sort of on a shelf in the computer room. And I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of like just waiting for one of the kids <laughs> to discover them. Um, and, and our kids are much younger than the, uh, than the Vivian character. Yes. Um, but 
So there isn't probably uh, a chance of them getting into either politics or fanzine culture anytime soon, I I would say. Yes. Once they introduce the Riot Girl characters on Paw Patrol, they're getting it all wrong. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. I thought, you know, I thought the Amy Poehler character was very believable as someone who once was into that she didn't play she was much cooler than i'd be about it so she was much cooler because i play it not cool at all and she was playing it really cool i think at the beginning i almost i found this kind of sense of like embarrassment over it not even embarrassment i don't know what the feeling was i don't know like flashbacks to your own self but in the end it like it was sweet and cute and redeemed itself i wasn't like embarrassed by at one point being super into all this stuff Yeah, was it cringy, like, looking at photos of yourself as a 14-year-old? A little cringe, yeah. My question was, I I thought it was really interesting that Amy Poehler's character, sort of, like, there was a little bit of a commentary on how the, you know, the Riot Girl movement wasn't perfect, you know? And and, and I thought that was kind of interesting, because it also seemed like Amy Poehler was sort of, like, addressing the fact you know she had come under fire a little bit a couple of years ago for her feminism seeming a little outmoded and I kind of thought it was I thought it was cool and I wondered what what you had to say about that like addressing the fact that you know there was some not quite PC uh language used at the time or you know right and I I think that it's also like it was a whole bunch of white girls like let's you know Let's put it out there. But even at the time, I have to say, even at the time. So, you know, I was into this when I was in high school and there my world was very small. And when I went to college, there were also a group of girls who did this. And it wasn't under Riot Girl, but it was all the Riot Girl people were part of this feminist organization, which to the, for the life of me, I cannot remember the name of it. I'm so bummed out. But there was a lot, even though that was still also a whole bunch of white girls like hanging out about being feminists and riot girls together. But they, there was a lot of discussion around this. It wasn't something that didn't come up, but it wasn't addressed and that it wasn't intersectional at all. Cause it was just the same kinds of people hanging out together, talking about this stuff and doing things. So it was barely limited that way, but there was an awareness that something wasn't happening here that should be, or that, you know, this tent should be bigger than it is. But people had other, you know, I guess we're all drawn to different groups for different reasons. And and I, there were a lot of super activist, like inspiring women, like on campus too. So it's like, it's not like they, like women of color. And that's not like it wasn't happening. It wasn't going to happen in the, the Riot Girls. <laughs> they weren't joining up with the Riot Girls. You you could be an activist and not listen to Sleater Kinney. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is for the best. But people did talk about it as an issue. Like, it's not like it wasn't discussed at all it just wasn't the priority either of the group to bring people in you know that didn't happen the song that gets kind of used over and over again in the movie as sort of the token emblematic riot girl song is rebel girl by bikini kill which which makes sense to me because that you know as someone who's outside of it that is the riot girl song i know best and i also think that's one of if not the best punk song to come out of the 1990s it's really good it's really a great song i i i remember when the documentary about kathleen hannah came out and i you know i knew almost nothing about that whole movement and i remember watching the documentary and and, you know 
I, I'm not even sure I had ever heard a note of Bikini Kills music until Michael. So I know, you know, it was that was a blind spot for me. It was, but I remember hearing the song and thinking, like, Jesus Christ, this is a good song, and all that live footage. It was so exciting to me okay. at you know whatever 40 years old when the when the documentary came out and i thought to myself like what how the fuck did i miss all of this you know i was i was busy with other pursuits i guess they were a great band i never saw them live i know you did emily yes i did <laughs> yeah it's awesome it, it was just as awesome as it should have been so i saw them in their heyday twice once when i was in high school and it was, I, I marked off the calendar for like three months in advance until the day of the Bikini Kill show. And it was like as good as it could have possibly been. I like cried in the front row, like losing my mind. It was awesome. And then I saw them in college as well. And that was also really, really good. But, um, and then recently I went again. So I, <laughs> third time I went with my friend, Kristen, we drove to one of the Brooklyn shows two years ago, right? Or a year and a half ago. It was really good. It was really, really good. And if it wasn't for COVID, we would have gone one more time as well, Kevin and I. But oh well, maybe someday. But it is, it was like an intense experience. When I was a teenager, it was an intense experience. I literally cried. Like I wrote Kathleen Hanna like a letter afterwards in which she responded, which I must have somewhere, which I'm like dying to find now, but I don't know where it is. But like, um, you know what I mean? I was just, oh, it was, there's nothing better. Best concert of my life. I think it will stay there. That one, the last call was the best concert of my life because I've never been so excited. I'll never be that excited about any, seeing anyone perform ever again. My big question about this movie when watching it was, is it playing only to people our age? Or do young people watching this, are they getting anything out of it? I, I would imagine they are because it's based on a YA novel from like 2015. And if it, it must have been successful enough that it got option for a movie, but I don't know. Or maybe it was just the subject matter. And Amy Poehler or one of her friends was like, ooh, right, girl, YA novel. Let's, let's adapt to this. I think the stuff it's talking about is still relevant. So it, it would probably play to a teenager watching it, maybe not in the same way, it certainly felt to me like a teen movie. You know, it was the, it was like, I, I really enjoyed watching all those sort of like archetypes play out and, but play out in a way where you, you know, it's like, you don't even realize how toxic a lot of those, a lot of those, uh, you know, uh, social mores are until somebody just p- points right at it and says like, this is, you know, the, the idea of the, of the jock kid sort of like inciting uh, an emotional response from someone just to, to tell them to calm down is something I think we've all seen a million times, but it's not something you even really, maybe you really identify. I, you know, I remember when, you know, uh, there was some, there was a few years ago, there was some question, a student, a female student was sent home for, for wearing a revealing tank top, you know, right out of the, uh, out of the scene of the movie. And a, and a teenage girl tweeted the idea that, you know, it, you, you punish the girl for wearing the clothes, but not the guy for, for harassing the girl. And even at however old I was, let's say I was 40 years old, just reading that statement 
It was the most obvious thing I had ever heard in my life. And yet that had not occurred to me. And so to watch that stuff sort of play itself out in the movie, all, you know, these things that should seem so obvious, but until somebody actually points them out, you know, you're like, oh yeah, that is really fucked up and backwards. And it was kind of fun to watch that play itself out within the context of just a, like a teen movie, you know? I could see that. And the teen movie, this reminded me the most of, even though like the, it reminded me a lot of pump up the volume, that Christian Slater movie where he's a DJ. I mean, obviously that movie didn't get as specific into, into either feminism or intersectionality, but the emotional stuff of being a teen and having a voice, like being a teen who's kind of quiet and then finding a way to get your voice out there somewhat anonymously as a way to, you know, rally the other kids together around things that that screwed up it reminded it reminded me a lot of that well i i like the idea that the 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 character who sort of like lit the match also didn't really become like the voice of that movement she was sort of the the more introverted person who was who put her feelings to pen and paper and then sort of this like movement sprouted around that that first act of rebellion but she didn't necessarily put herself forward as the spokesperson i mean back to kind of how this how the school was i I do think at some point someone did acknowledge the fact that be like and said to vivian like this isn't normal you know like just the level of like misogyny that was going on like in a school in 2020 or you know kind of since you know it was truncated year but like seemed excessive to me but I can see it kind of in the scope of kind of a YA story that um and in the place also didn't seem quite right but then it seemed like the because it was seemed like Pacific Northwest but I read that the novel actually took place in Texas where maybe that is more likely to be the case because it seemed like you know what I mean like in the Pacific Northwest is there really this standalone high school that like just people are like rampant like the administration doesn't care nobody cares that these kids are going are being like real assholes and like like over the line of like something that isn't acknowledged or like is and maybe I'm naive because that's totally could be it I don't have kids in high school and I went to all girls school so it seems like how could this happen but I did feel like it was a little bit over the edge but I did like when at some point one of the characters did say like this isn't normal like this doesn't this doesn't have to be the way that it is. Principal Marsha Gay Harden basically is uh, is like a mustache twirling villain. She's like stealing elections for the football player. She's right. It, it, that that struck uh, that struck a false note for me too. Right, right. It's like she's abdicated all responsibility to like the women of this high school. <laughs> like, I just don't understand. It seemed to me that the adults. That the adult administrators in the school were really just trying to not be inconvenienced and to just get through every day, and uh, that actually kind of rang as as realistic to me. Like it's not it's not a thing because I don't want it to be a thing right now because I'm busy being the principal of a high school. I don't know, man. I think it was crazy. Like <laughs> majorly bad going on in this place. 
You'd think the PTA in the Pacific Northwest would have a little bit more to say. No, and that, that wasn't, maybe that was more of a topic of conversation between Vivian and her mother, but you would think that her mother would be like, what is wrong with this? Like, how can all this be happening? The Arlington Parents Facebook group would be beside itself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would tell you that Arlington would be aflame if this was happening. <laughs> like, it would be mayhem. If it was happening to this yeah, would be losing their minds over this level of like craziness. Well, even like the existence of that list at the, you know, on the first day of yes. school. That's something that seemed to me would be absolutely something that would happen and be completely, no, the adults would just wash their like, Well, that's not our problem because it's, you know, that's a social media issue. You know what I mean? That's, that actually seemed like a like a, a a relatively realistic thing that could happen you know that, that there would be this really messed up list circulating around that the adults would just had no agency over whatsoever right i thought it was cool to just see just little evidence of things that like how high school can be so similar to the, the way it was when we were there and yet also so different like the idea that they had the little the little cell phone caddy right at the door where you just slide your cell phone like that that seemed to me like oh that's wow things really are different they have cell phone <laughs> cell phone jail I think. it's almost as though kevin and emily the more things change <laughs> the more they stay the same <laughs> so here's a question uh to both of you did you like this movie i did like this movie in the end i liked it more the beginning i felt it difficult to watch a little bit but by the end, I thought it was very sweet, a very sweet film. And it, it made me feel good at the end, which, you know, in these trying days is really all like one can ask for. And I would recommend, I don't, like you said, I don't know if a, you know, 14 year olds would find it good or not. I don't know. But I do think like a, a person like me and used to be into this stuff would love it. So for that, I'd recommend it. Well, I thought I thought it was a really sweet movie too. I thought that, you know, I I I I really liked that it really towed the line between a like a pretty political movie and a teen drama. You know, like you said it earlier, Emily. Like your world is pretty small when you're that age, and so the idea that she starts acting up and rebelling, but in this really like kind of radical and really positive way like even when she's being a shitty teenager you're you know you're still rooting for her because you're like yeah things are really fucked up and i think it's awesome that you're mad about it what about you kevin did you like it i thought it was a nice story and i thought it was very well-meaning and i thought it was fun to watch and i love that bikini kill song and i loved how the band of teenage girls did a bikini kill song and then they did a muff song and oh my God, do I love the muffs. I thought that was very, very cool as well. And the other weird thing is that they were, they were the Linda Lindas. The band was called yeah. Linda Lindas. What is that a reference to? Well, it's a reference to a couple things. Um, there's a Japanese punk band from the eighties called the blue hearts and their big song was Linda Linda. But there was also a movie in the early two thousands from Japan called Linda, 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 that's about like four Japanese um, teenage girls who start a punk band together. And that's their first song that they learn. 
Um, and that's a, that's a really great movie too. Like, I love that movie. Um, it, just in terms of like the joy of playing music with people that like that movie is a barbaric yelp of how great life can be. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. For, for the companion skate video, I would say watch uh, Godspeed by Illegal Civilization um, because you get to see Nico and some of the people from mid-90s really, really skating the streets and putting themselves in deeply in harm's way. <laughs> All right, gang. So I think uh, Moxie. Emily, thank you so much for joining us. No problem. For this podcast discussion. It was great to have you. You know, nice chatting with you guys. I have plugs. I can plug stuff. Plug away, my friend. So I have been appearing with those lovable scamps over at Dragon Con's American Sci-Fi Classics track. They've been doing virtual panels all through the pandemic. And lately they've been doing a battle of the fictional bands. And it's been, uh, there's so many fictional bands that we've done two so far two rounds so far and i believe the next round is this it should be the coming thursday after this comes out but you can find all of them after the fact uh on youtube at um if you look up american sci-fi classics track battle of the bands i'm sure it'll come up there um i know that in last week uh buckaroo bonsai and the hong kong cavaliers emerged victorious from the march from the march madness style brackets they wound up beating the wonders from that thing you do that was a good band. Now, I, I, this does sound compelling. Where are the Electric Mayhem in the bracket? They're the guys I, I, I'm going for them. They haven't come up yet. Um, I'm assuming they're going to come up in part three because I know they're in the mix. Basically, they're pulling names out of a, a Kiss Cup. And it is generally it, like these the groups have not been seeded, but the Electric Mayhem would be a number one seed. Because everyone is assuming they're going to emerge victorious next week. Is it? Does that seem? Because it seems to me that's the that's the band. Yeah, it would like. I was surprised that the Soggy Bottom Boys from Oh Brother Were Out Thou beat Spinal Tap. Yeah, that's, that's that's a little strange. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's not how, it's not how I voted. So, are Evan Otter's Jug Band also part of the uh, the the bracket or? They haven't come up yet either, so it could be a could be a Muppet on Muppet battle. Ooh, that sounds fantastic. Although I would say better than Emin Otter's Jug Band are the River Bottom Nightmare Band, who right who beat Emin Otter and his Jug Band in the talent contest, and I would say rightly so, because because they have a fish whose sole purpose in the band is to spit water on the audience. Absolutely, yeah they 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 put together a better live show. Yeah. For an so. intimate setting, like outside of the restaurant where they combine their songs together in a beautiful harmony, sure, I'm an otter. But but you know, on the treading the boards on the big stage, I'm going I'm, I'm going Riverbottom Nightmare Band all day long. See, and that, so it's like ninety minutes of discussions like that. Yeah, that sounds um, good. Uh, another thing I'm doing is. Uh, on the Earth Station One podcast, I am going to be discussing WandaVision. And that sh- I don't know if that's going to be out by the time this goes out, or it'll be, out, it'll be out roughly at the same time. So if you look up Earth Station One podcast, the WandaVision episode, I'm going to be on that talking about WandaVision. That sounds awesome. I'd like to plug, I have a new podcast with my friend Kevin, where we talk about the band Superchunk and how they're 
a pretty good band. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Thank you for listening. Our website is gleamingthetube.net. We're on Facebook at Gleaming the Tube, and our email is gleamingpod at gmail.com. Production assistance by Liam Gray. Music by Kissing Contest. Skateboarding is not a crime. Skateboarding is not a crime.